Hi everyone, my name is Anastasia Lapatina and you're listening to This Week in Ukraine, a video podcast from the Crew Independent. Every week, I sit down with one of my newsroom colleagues to dive into Ukraine's most pressing issues. And today, we're talking about the incursion in Belgorod Oblast by Russian volunteer soldiers who fight on the side of Ukraine. I'm joined by the Crew Independent senior editor, Alexei Sorokin. Alexei, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. So. Alexei, on Monday afternoon, images and videos appeared online showing what looked like Russian volunteer units that fight for Ukraine, breaching the Russian border and basically entering into Russia's Belgorod Oblast. We now know that it wasn't a fake. That operation actually did happen. So tell us, where did the story start? Well, if we're talking about the events that happened on Monday, then it all started uh, at night when there were reports of a Russian border post being attacked, after which uh, around 9 a.m. Kyiv time, we saw uh, unknown uh, men cross uh, the border and start fighting inside Russia. Also, there were several videos published by what they call themselves the Free Russia Legion and the Russian uh, Volunteer Corps. Um, they said that they're bringing basically the fight back to Russia, that they're back in Russian territory. They specifically mentioned that they're Russian citizens fighting on the side of Ukraine. And after that, uh, all journalists covering Ukraine were trying to figure out who those people were and what was the goal of this operation. I think it's safe to say that, yes, this operation happened and those people did cross the border. Um, the goals of this operation is still being kind of discussed in Ukraine and in the West. But that the fact that this happened is we know that it's actually an event that happened. Yes. And is that still ongoing? For how long did these events unfold? There were explosions. Maybe somebody died, was injured. Well, what we know now is this looks from the military standpoint, this looks like a raid, meaning that it had to be uh, short in time. Uh, the people who crossed the border, they definitely relied on their own uh, provision. There were no supply lines, meaning that they could sustain themselves somewhere from a day to three days max. Um, what we see right now is they crossed back into Ukraine. And this operation, if we want to call it, I think it's over. But looking at what happened, I'm pretty sure that it's not the last time we see this sort of operation. And so how far into Russia did they actually manage to go? Well, if you read Twitter, then 150 kilometers. But in <laughs> reality, it was actually around four to five kilometers. Uh, the city that they uh, targeted, uh, Greyvaron, it's seven kilometers from the Ukrainian border. So it's not a really big distance, right? And for example, Russian officials were saying that uh, when they tried to defend why uh, Russia wasn't prepared, they said that those incursions were actually uh, really close to the border, meaning that the border defenses were even uh, located deeper into Russia, which is obviously absurd. But uh, this gives you a picture that it was a really uh, little, small incursion, a really like local raid, I would say. You've mentioned the two Russian volunteer units that are fighting for Ukraine. So tell us a bit more about these units. Who are these people and, and when did these units originate? 
Well, the fun fact here is that um, we know little about them. Uh, right now, the big debate is, are they actually uh, military units or they're more used by Ukraine as this kind of PR campaign, I would say. Because if we're talking about the Belarus Kostus-Kolinovsky uh, regiment or the two Chechen uh, battalions, the, the Daev one and Sheikh Mansour one, right? We know for a fact they exist. We know that they fight. We know where they fight. We know their commanders. And so it's a established, uh, capable military formation, right? With these two, we have little information. Uh, we, we know that they have some people uh, with Russian passports that fight for Ukraine. We don't know if they're actually organized, if they perform operations independently or they are actually part of, for example, the International Legion, right? Um, so there's little information. We know some people, uh, but we have no information about what operations they took part in. Uh, I would say the, the fact that the Legion is better known because it's part of the International Legion, and we know that they fought with the International Legion, uh, both in Kiev Oblast and in the East. But if it's a separate unit or what's actually their structure, we have limited information, unfortunately. And so what was Ukraine's reaction to what happened? Did the Ukrainian government claim responsibility? Well, obviously, uh, whatever happens in Russia, Ukraine, the Ukrainian government will never take responsibility. Right. Uh, it just happens that Russians started fighting Russians uh, in Russia, right. Right. Uh, defending Russian people. Yeah. So the fact here is that obviously... Uh, this operation wouldn't be possible without Ukrainian government or Ukrainian special forces knowing about it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if we're talking about the Ukrainian military, it's an organized formation. There's no rogue Russian units running around uh, Kharkiv Oblast and trying to enter Russia, right? It's, it's impossible. So uh, the strategy here is uh, for Ukraine apparently to assist those units uh, but deny any responsibility of bringing the fight into Russia. I would say that maximum that the Ukrainian government went is to say that uh, Ukraine is supporting uh, a demilitarized uh, buffer zone between Ukraine and Russia. That's what uh, the uh, intelligence, the military intelligence mm -hmm. said. Obviously, it was, it was more of a, of a gag than an official statement. We know that Budanov is really talkative uh, about events in Russia happening, the Crimean Bridge, mm -hmm. the drone strikes, right? But I would not consider it an official Ukrainian position. Do we know any of the soldiers who actually fight in these formations, who they are? It's interesting that the people fighting in those two technically separate uh, divisions are really, really different. If we um, try to identify those who are caught on video or who speak uh, on behalf of uh, the Free Russia Legion and the Volunteer Corps. With the Legion, it's how they say it, that it's both Russians who fought for Ukraine for a period of time, for eight, nine years, and also Russian soldiers who deliberately surrendered and are now fighting for Ukraine. We don't have proof of that, but we know that at least some part of those uh, who fight for this legion, if it actually exists. But those people who are appearing on video are Russians who either fought for Ukraine for a long time or those Russians who were in Russia 
prior to February 24th, and then ended up in Ukraine. If we're talking about the corpse, then uh, it's a bit different. We saw a lot of uh, Russian far-right fighting for Ukraine and joining this volunteer corp. Um, I would say that a lot of those who appeared um, in this raid and who said they represent the corp are well-known far rights. Uh, Especially, we can say that their leader, um, Nikitin, uh, is a pretty well-known, established uh, far-right individual, both in Russia and Ukraine, and he lived in Western Europe for, for a long time. So obviously, the reputation and kind of the background of some of those people is questionable. I think that on the Ukrainian side, uh, Ukraine right now is using any help it can get. And if this serves a purpose in this war, I think what the, and I think this is the military intelligence who's in charge of this operation, I think they're eager to close their eyes on some of uh, the cases that happened before the war, if this helps right now. You mentioned that this operation uh, was probably the job of Gur, Ukraine's defense intelligence. But uh, we've seen that on social media and just in the public discussion, not a lot of people understand who these formations actually answer to. Are they part of Gur? Are they part of Ukraine's armed forces? How structured they are? Do we know anything about this? Well, I think it's important to understand that uh, there's no rogue units in Ukraine. Obviously, if there are people with guns fighting in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. then they are uh, subjected to either uh, the defense intelligence or the National Guard or Mm -hmm. the armed forces. There is no rogue Russian units running around. Uh, The the confusing part here is that because those uh, units are so secretive, we don't know if they actually exist. We know that those people who took part in this operation, they exist and they fight for Ukraine. And most likely they are coordinated by the defense intelligence because those operations, uh, especially inside Russia, they, they look like they're, it's a signature move of the defense intelligence. Of and special that's something, forces. Yeah, or special forces. It, it looks like something uh, that the units uh, that are working with Budanov would do. We don't have proof uh, that it's Budanov, but again, uh, the first one to comment on this was Budanov and uh, the spokesperson of the defense intelligence. So we kind of assume right. that they, yeah. they're behind this, right? The problem here is that we don't know if there's actually this free Russia unit fighting for Ukraine. We know there are people who represent the so-called free Russia unit, but in theory, uh, we only saw those people in PR stunts. We, we saw them in Irpin when they signed this joint declaration of all Russians fighting for, for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We saw them in videos and we saw them in military operations uh, in Belgorod Oblast. But the problem here is that uh, we don't know about their military operations together with Ukrainian forces in the East or Kyiv Oblast. So they are definitely fighting for Ukraine, but this structure is yet unknown. So there's an option, uh, and a lot of people are pointing to this, that this might be uh, Russian citizens who fight for Ukraine and who are coordinated 
by the defense intelligence into special operations like this. Mm -hmm. Do we know what was the purpose of this operation in Belgrade, according to the Ukrainian government or some leaks or maybe the Russian formations themselves? Well, according to uh, the Legion itself, uh, they decided to bring the war back uh, home. They are Russian citizens who launched an uprising against Putin. Then uh, the Gur's uh, spokesperson said that uh, Ukraine is trying to uh, create a safe zone for civilians uh, near the Ukrainian border. Then one of the Legion spokesperson said that uh, the goal was to liberate people in Belgorod Oblast, that they called them to liberate them. Obviously, all of those explanations are not true. Uh, they're made for the public, for, for Twitter memes, I would say. Um, the real reason, there's actually two answers to this question. One is why does this legion need this operation? Mm -hmm. Well, now everybody talks about this legion. Mm -hmm. Now they are well known. They conducted a really successful operation in terms of uh, public recognition. Mm -hmm. Now the world media will talk that there's Russians who are fighting the Russian regime, mm -hmm. that they are capable of launching attacks inside Russia. Mm -hmm. And also for them, uh, they saw that they can actually perform those kind of operations. Mm -hmm. So I would say uh, this was more of a public stunt, but a really successful one. Mm -hmm. For Ukraine, this explanation also works. But for Ukraine, it's also important to see uh, the limitations of Russian defenses. Uh, for them, trying to spread out Russian forces is the primary goal. Right now, I'm pretty sure that Russia will need to fortify the border, bring some troops from the east into mainland Russia, uh, also, Ukraine, we know, has forces on the border that are uh, superior in numbers than the Russian forces. Ukraine showed that it's not afraid to take the war inside Russia. And so for Ukraine, this was kind of a test operation. And I'm pretty sure that more operations like this will follow. Uh, the main reasoning being that uh, while Russia has to defend Belgorod, Bryansk, Voronezh Oblast, uh, they're easy to strike uh, in the east of Ukraine. And how has Russia reacted to this operation? Well, Russia also had uh, mixed statements. Uh, the most public figure who uh, made multiple statements was the Belgorod governor, who at some point even proclaimed the uh, counter-terrorist uh, operation in the region. Um, this was pretty big news because basically one of Russia's regions was in a state of emergency, a military emergency. And that's also good PR for Ukraine. But we, we had several comments from Peskov, the press sec of uh, the Kremlin, uh, who said that Putin will be briefed on this operation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, from what we saw from official Russian sources and also from Russian Telegram channels, they didn't expect this. Uh, this is something that Russia didn't think Ukraine would do. I think here helped the statements that Ukraine promised not to use Western weapons in mainland Russia. Uh, also, 
the Western comments that uh, Western weapons are not to be used in Russia. So I think for many Russians, they actually thought that Ukraine will keep all the fighting only inside the international recognized borders of Ukraine, which now we see that no. You mentioned America asking Ukraine not to use Western weapons in Russia to attack Russia, as if that's not at all what happened. So in this operation, do we know if American weapons were used? Well, according to photos and videos, we saw those uh, Russian volunteer corps and those the Free Russia Legion that they used uh, Western weapons. They actually used uh, Max Pro uh, armored vehicles. Um, so yes, I would say that Western weapons were probably used in this operation. Do we know if the West gave a hard time uh, to Ukrainian officials uh, about this? No, we don't have this information. Publicly, uh, the US was more calm saying that it's up to Ukraine to perform any kind of defensive operations that will help liberate Ukrainian territories. So I think that the US probably doesn't like it, but it's not a game changer. I don't think that the US will stop helping Ukraine because of this one incident. Mm -hmm. This incident in Belgrade was extremely public and everyone talks about it, but this isn't actually the first time um, that these Russian formations have done something like this with incursions through the border. There was a similar but much less public incident back in March, right? Yes, this is not the first time this happens. Um, the pilot episode of this was on March 2nd when the Russian Volunteer Corps uh, entered Bryansk Oblast. It was a really limited raid. Uh, it took place for about several hours. Uh, mostly it was also public where the Russian freedom fighting troops took pictures and the border crossing and entered one village right on the border. Um, it, it probably was uh, a test operation, meaning to see first the Russian reaction, the Russian defenses, and the Western reaction. Uh, and this one, I would say it was prepared better. Um, I think a lot of time was put into performing this massive uh, operation and entering several villages and basically keeping the attention for over a day, I would say. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the narratives and the messaging around both of these operations, because the fighters carry this flag, which says Belgorod's People's Republic. They're not doing that for no reason. Um, they're mocking what happened in Donbass, right? They're, they're mocking kind of Russia's approach to annexing Ukrainian territory. Well, and yes and no. I think that the messaging here is different because uh, those Russian units, uh, they are not kind of trying to proclaim an independent Belgrade Republic. Uh, they are actually aiming at Moscow. So I think here the main message uh, they're sending is that we'll get you, we'll try to, to come and take uh, Moscow, take power in Russia. We're trying to show Russians that are that you have to rise up and uh, take arms. Um, obviously, it's not working and probably it won't work, but this messaging is trying to scare the Kremlin, right? Uh, the parallel here is, is obvious, and obviously 
a lot of Ukrainian troops and Russian troops fighting for Ukraine are mocking the so-called people republics because everybody in Ukraine knew that it was a Russian project backed by Russian military in Donbass. Uh, in Donbass, yes. Uh, the problem here is that for years, Western media, Western officials were kind of uh, leaning towards, yes, we know that Russia is backing them, but maybe there is actually separatism. Maybe there is locals who are mm -hmm. fighting for independence, which wasn't true because we know that there was no separatist movements in Donetsk and Lugansk prior to Russian army coming mm -hmm. uh, and taking people hostage, basically. So yes, obviously, they're going to mock this. And if we read uh, even Ukrainian official accounts, then they're really happy this happened in Belgorod, because this is a sort of, uh, not payback, but this is giving Russia their own medicine, meaning mm -hmm. that one of the Russian regions has this fake uh, separatist problem, mm -hmm. which is obviously created by a foreign power. Another interesting parallel here um, that many Ukrainians are so taking advantage of on social media now is that Belgorod actually very briefly used to be a part of Ukraine, right? So, Well, the fun fact, obviously, is that uh, under uh, Hitman Skaropatsky in uh, 1918, from April to December, Belgrade was technically part of the Ukraine's yeah. People's Republic, actually then called the Ukrainian state. Uh, but right now, it's mostly memes in a sense that um, Ukraine is fighting to liberate its territory. Mm -hmm. And any operation, even inside mainland Russia, has the only purpose is to liberate Ukrainian territory, right? For example, a lot of Russian uh, pro-war telegram channels were saying that this operation is uh, used to uh, move our attention from Bakhmut, where uh, Ukrainian troops had to uh, pull out of the city. But I would say that, first of all, this operation was probably planned way in advance. And second of all, I think that this operation is partially even more important than Bakhmut in a sense that showing that Ukraine can strike inside Russia and that there are troops that are eager to cross the border in Bransk, in uh, Belgorod Oblast, will definitely uh, put Russian troops and Russian leadership in a really, really bad position. Because now you have to defend not only the front line in eastern and southern Ukraine, you have to defend the border because we saw it, it's not defended. If Ukraine decide to actually throw a military, a full-scale military operation, then the result would be way different, right? So they have to spread the troops, they have to defend the whole uh, front line, and they also know that Ukraine doesn't have any, uh, basically, territories that it won't strike. That Ukraine is eager to strike both the occupied regions of Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, Kherson, and Crimea, and they're willing to strike mainland Russia to force Russia to uh, move its troops out of the occupied regions. Hey, it's me, your host. We've got an update. As we were recording this episode, our colleague, Asami Tarajima, got on an overnight train to Kharkiv. She was going to a press conference with the soldiers of the Free Russia Legion and Russian Volunteer Corps. 
a big crowd of journalists were taken to an undisclosed location to chat with their own 20 fighters, supposedly the ones who crossed into Belgorod just days ago. So here is Asami telling us what she has learned. So there were about 20 soldiers at the site. Only two of them were out to speak. One of them was Denis Kapustin, who introduced himself as the commander of the Russian Volunteer Corps. Uh, he said that him and his fighters uh, were in Belgorod Oblast for about 24 hours. Uh, he said that they came back uh, in the early hours of uh, May 23rd. Uh, he claimed that there were only two light injuries, uh, which seems pretty difficult to believe. Uh, he said that he had coordinated with the Ukrainian military, but uh, there was no direct involvement from the Ukrainian side. Uh, he said that he received some uh, medical assistance, so basically the soldiers who were wounded. He said that uh, they were treated by uh, with the help of Ukraine. He said that uh, the demand uh, among Russians to join the group has increased after uh, what happened in Belgorod Oblast. Uh, he said that after Russia announced mobilization in September 2022, there were about 200 applicants a day. And he said that he's seeing a similar demand right now. And another fighter uh, who was uh, who's from the uh, Free Russia Legion, uh, and he goes by the code name of, uh, Caesar, he said that uh, he was expected to go deeper and deeper into Russia. Uh, he wants to take over the Kremlin and replace the regime with a government that is chosen by the Russian people so that people can express themselves freely. Uh, both of them said that more incursions are expected uh, inside Russia, but he, they didn't say where. Uh, they just said that the Russian-Ukrainian border is very long and it can basically happen anywhere, anytime. We're now going to be moving to some questions that we got from our supporters on Patreon. Our patrons get a chance to ask us questions before every single episode. They also get exclusive access to events such as thematic discussions with editors and more. It's really, really simple to get such access for as little as $5 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash independent. So the first big question was, do you think that the attack upon Belgorod is overall a positive event for the war because it shows Russia's weakness and may cause unrest in Moscow? Or do you see this as a net negative effect because the Kremlin will now use this as an excuse for Russia being the victim and cause more missile strikes against Ukrainian civilians? I think the event is definitely positive uh, because Russia is already using this narrative that it's fighting against Ukraine, NATO and everyone and that Russia is a fort under siege, right? So they don't need an event in Belgorod to uh, prop up their propaganda. Uh, why positive is because now Russia knows that Ukraine can strike wherever. It has to put more forces into its defense lines. And also now Ukraine was able to test this operation. And in the future, Ukraine knows that there's more ways to strike Russia. I'm pretty sure that this is not the last operation. And the next operation would definitely be... Uh, more troops will be involved and it will definitely up the scale. Another question that we got was, in terms of structure and function, are the Russian Volunteer Corps and the Freedom of Russia Legion organized in much the same way as, say, the Wagner Group in general terms? What level of coordination or interaction is there between these two formations and armed forces of Ukraine? 
Does Ukraine provide them with any supplies or munitions, or are they self-supplied? Obviously, it's it's not Wagner. The key uh, difference here is that in Ukraine, all units are subordinate to unofficial military military branch. It's either the National Guard, the Armed Forces, or the Defense Intelligence, right? So there so, are no PMCs or no, no, private no. military it's, companies? There's no private military co- companies. Every All the arms and ammo that they have is provided by Ukraine. They don't go on a scavenger hunt to, for, for tanks. Uh, and some uh, reports were saying that they went into Belgorod to take Russian tanks. No, the, like everything they have is provided by Ukraine. And obviously we know that despite what Ukraine says, this operation is sanctioned by Ukraine and fully coordinated with one of Ukraine's military branches. A third question is, Is this operation likely just to be a distraction, or is it possible that this is a beginning of civil unrest in Russia? I don't believe in civil unrest in Russia. Uh, I think it's a distraction, and this raid had several purposes. Uh, one of them is obviously uh, meant as a public stunt to uh, force Russia to pay attention to its own territories and to make them fear civil unrest to military uprisings and so on. Unfortunately, I don't believe in Russians and I don't see any way that this operation uh, five to seven kilometers inside Russia on the border can lead to any major uh, rifts in Moscow. Well, Alexei, thank you so much for joining us. This was really interesting. Thank you for having me. Also this week, Ukrainian military intelligence chief Karolo Budanov said in an interview with the Japan Broadcasting Corporation on May 23rd that Ukraine already has enough weapons and that the long-awaited counteroffensive would begin, quote, soon. The U.S. State Department said that giving Ukraine the F-16 jets and providing training for Ukrainian pilots remains, quote, a priority. At the same time, Ukraine's Air Force said that there were already preparations underway to begin the training of pilots. And the Institute for the Study of War reported that Ukraine's general staff didn't mention the fighting in Bakhmut in its evening briefing on May 23rd for the first time since last December. This comes amid reports of Wagner taking Bakhmut entirely as of May 21st. On that same day, May 21st, commander of Ukraine's land forces, Alexander Sirsky, also said that Ukrainian troops kept advancing on the flanks and are approaching, quote, a tactical encirclement of Bakhmut. You can find our show on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday morning. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to us and like our content wherever you're listening to this podcast. Please consider supporting the Kyiv Independent on Patreon at patreon.com slash and follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.